Halloween welcome. Thank you for joining this week's podcast with Reverend Deji Olabode, a man called to activate and actualize God's royalty in humanity. He's the senior pastor of the Enthronement Assembly, a network of churches with headquarters in Lagos, Nigeria. Be blessed as you listen to Reverend Deji Olabode. Psalms 110, verse 1 to verse 2. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This year, you will step on your enemies. <laughs> In the name of the Lord Jesus. How are you going to do that? The Lord will send the rod of his strength out of Zion saying rule in the midst of your enemies so the presence of enemies is not an ex is, is not an excuse for you not to be in charge hallelujah rule in the midst of your enemies psalm 23 comes to mind it says you prepare table for me in their presence and this year by the mercy and grace of god i pray for you god will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies in the name of jesus i think it's the message guy who calls it a seven cost meal or something i don't think the bible said that but you know i know our generation likes things like that so god is going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies what is the key to this he will send the rod of his strength out of the entrumment assembly and that rod, as you take responsibility for it, will bring about rulership in your realm. In Ezekiel 19, verse 12 to verse 14, the principle was also highlighted. He said, fire has gone out of the rod of her branches, which has devoured her fruit, so that she has no strong rod to be a scepter to rule. So, what God does is for you to rule the rods, which is the word or the revelation that he, he reveals to you. You take responsibility for. Then it becomes a scepter of authority. and brings about dominion and rulership in your realm. This year, this word will not fail in your life. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, I've been mentioning some of this scepter, the scepter of justice, the scepter of righteousness, the scepter of praise and worship, and, and so on and so forth. But I want to press on in this today. Regarding the scepter of righteousness in Psalms 45, verse 6 to verse 7, and Hebrews 1, verse 8 to verse 9, it says here that the throne of the Son of God is forever and ever and the scepter of his kingdom is a scepter of righteousness his love righteousness and his weakness therefore the lord his god had anointed him with the oil of gladness above one's fellow so righteousness we said is a scepter the new testament in romans 5 verse 16 17 said for if by one man's offense death reigned through one much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life 
through the one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, glory to God. So, righteousness is a scepter. In dealing with this, I want to take you to a, 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 I want to plant a seed in your consciousness about the order of God. The order of God. You must be very sensitive to divine order. Divine order is a prerequisite to executing divine government. There's going to be a great need to bring our lives into alignment with the order of God. Please follow me. And in the order of God, basically, you must realize that your God, my God, our God, is not a taskmaster. Our God is not a taskmaster. I want you to say that three times. My God is not a taskmaster. My God is not a taskmaster. In other words, I know Africa likes a lot of gymnastics and things like that. But the more I grew in God, the more I find out our God is very orderly and very methodical. It's not haphazard about the things he does. He's very meticulous. He's very orderly. And he's very methodical. Now, in dealing with this, when I say God is not a taskmaster, I'm saying in essence that God will never expect from you what he has not given to you. God will never expect from you what he has not given to you. Another way to put this is that before God places a demand on you, he will have made, he would have made a deposit in you. This is the order of God. God will not expect from you what he has not invested in you. And God will not demand from you what he has not deposited in you. However, if he has invested in you, he's going to demand it. <laughs> he's going to demand it. To understand the taskmaster principle, you need to go to Exodus chapter 5, verse 16 to verse 19. In that scripture, I think I have to paraphrase, when Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, that they may bless, uh, that, that let my people go that they may serve me. In Exodus 5, that same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you will not, you will no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves and you shall lay on them the quota of the bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it. So, here was a problem here. God had called them to be delivered. The moment the demand for their deliverance was placed, Pharaoh reacted. As Pharaoh reacted, I said, now what I'm going to do, Pharaoh said, is you're going to have to fulfill the former quota of your work without having the straw needed to create the bricks. So I'm going to give you an assignment for the bricks, but I'm not, I'm no longer going to supply the resource. And that's what 
taskmasters to you. They will have the assignment, give you the assignment without the equipment. God will not give you an assignment without the equipment. Therefore, your assignment is oftentimes an indication to your equipment. So he was saying you will still have to fulfill the assignment without the equipment. And that's why sometimes when you can discern your assignment, you know he's equipped you for it. God is a very orderly God, is a methodical God, is not a haphazard God. Whenever God gives you an assignment, he will give you the equipment to fulfill that assignment. But the taskmaster on the Pharaoh was saying, you will still fulfill this assignment and you're going, to, you're going to have to go look for the equipment. It is not like God to have to go look for the equipment to fulfill the assignment. God is not a taskmaster. This should, this should change your mind, somebody. This should change your mind about God. Now, you lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. Don't reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. Of course, this is a management theory. And people are talking too much because there's no work. So you heap them, heap work on them. <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? Whenever you're hearing too much noise in your company, look for work for them to do. If I hear him, you know, people are talking too much because they don't have work. Well, gospel too much, you don't have work. When you have work, uh -huh. and I'm saying to every CEO here, every manager here, when you are beginning to hear too much noise in your institution, lay work upon them. Ah, you will so work. <laughs> By the mercy and grace of God. Work kills from having time for false words. So the taskmaster of the people and their officers went out and spake to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw wherever you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children. Now, I will talk about this another time. Here also you're seeing something very powerful about how the Egyptian civilization rose. Because I think sometime this year or next year, if I have time, I'll travel to Egypt. And I just want to go see the Egyptian pyramids. Here you're seeing something very powerful. Some theologians said it was built by the Israelites and things like that, but let me not go into that. But what you see here is that there was a, a system of a daily quota of work laid on the people. There was a daily quota. Oh, Rabbi Adosh Kabaha. This Bible is powerful. Daily quota of work. And he said, you guys were not going to give you the resources needed. We're not going to give you the equipment needed. But you must fulfill the daily quota. That's not good. That's not good. That's unreasonable. And he said, I will be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men who do not have a faith. In other words, God will not give you an assignment again and not give you the equipment. Your daily quota as when you are straw. 
Also, the officer of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh is said over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as and before? And the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing with us, with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make brick, and indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is not your own people. And they said, You are idle. Therefore, you say, Let us go and sacrifice the Lord. Therefore, go now and work. For for now, straw, no straw shall be given to you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. After it was said, You shall not reduce any brick from your daily quota. Hallelujah. Well, another thing I, I think I see here, and we'll talk about this later. If you are idle, Satan will give you work. Pharaoh will give you work. Pharaoh will employ you. <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? He said, oh, uh, if you are idle, Satan will give you work. You have to organize yourself. You have to organize yourself for there to be no space for iniquity. Here, Ezekiel 16, on the iniquity of Sodom. Abundance of idleness, fullness of bread. Neither did they strengthen the hands of the poor. If you are idle, Satan will engage you. Amen? If you are idle, Satan will engage you. Please, it is six days of work, not three, not four, not five. Go to Europe and I say four work days, four work days. <laughs> That's why you see Satan has taken over those communities. Four working days. God's order is six working days, one day of rest. We want three, four working days, four days. You know what's going to, when you work four days, you have given Satan three other days in which to give you work. May the Lord give us understanding in Jesus' name. So this is the taskmaster principle. God is not a taskmaster. God will not give you once again the assignment and not give you the equipment. From a practical level now, everything that is underwater has fins, has gills. Is that not so? Because your assignment comes with your equipment. And that's why you can't tell me that God has, For instance, I'm a founder and a leader. My wiring is the founder of is the wiring of a founder. You understand? I'm not an associate pastor. I'm a founder. You know, as you search pastor, you know. Let me not go into that. Founder. So God, what God has called you to do, He's called you to be an administrator, He will equip you to be an administrator. <laughs> if He called you to be a worshiper and a psalmist, He will equip you. Let's get out of all this messy psalmist thing. Let's get out. Anybody singing like a fish or like a, you know, let's get out of that. If you can't sing, go and find something you can do. Stop stressing yourself in what God has not equipped you for. He's equipped you to teach. If he's given the assignment to teach, he will equip you for it. He's a, he will equip you. Now, but I'm jumping ahead about somebody in there that in other words, when you're checking somebody, you know, I, I say I'm called. So some people, why many struggle, you know? Is people who are supposed to be associates, they go and start churches. You know what it means to start a church and be a founder? Oh. You are now an associate who has a founder's dilemma. <laughs> you have stepped into the office, but you don't have the grace for it. That will not be you in Jesus' name. 
Again, suggesting that God is a very orderly God, in Luke chapter 12, verse 47 to verse 48, he said, that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will will be beaten with many stripes. Let me explain what it means. Whenever you know God's will and you don't do it, get ready for stripes. Whenever you know God's will and you refuse to do it, get ready for stripes. Mm. Let me not go beyond that. Every time, revelation comes with responsibility. That's what I'm saying. The servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself to do it, according to his will, will be beaten with many stripes. But the one who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. So he's saying here that we cannot demand equally from people. What you demand from people is a function of what you have invested in them. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. What you demand from people. Some people do something and I'll just look at my own seat. In fact, some people do something wrong. I'll say, ah, that's fantastic. Yeah, because of the level of investments I have in you. Some people do it and fire will fall instantly. Because the principle is this. For everyone who much is given, from him much will be required. The requirement, the giving comes be before the requirement. Please, I'm saying something. I'm going somewhere. And to whom much has been committed of him, they shall expect, ask the more. Somebody, for instance, recently said some rubbish about my, my prophet, Pastor Kredit Kumaya. Well, my reaction is clear. You know, of whom much is given, much will be expected. I don't expect equally from everybody, but to whom much is given. And that's why whenever, and in this church, in Trumbert Assembly, you are one of the best taught churches in the world. Much will be required from you. Of whom much is given, much will be required or much will be expected. The principle, therefore, is that God will first of all invest in you before he demands of you. To whom much is given, he will first of all give to you before he demands it of you. That's why he's not a taskmaster. What he demands of you is an indication of what he has deposited in you. I'm going somewhere here. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, the same principle, he said, for if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. The, the order of God is that God will first of all make a deposit before he makes a demand. So you have to be willing, therefore, to release, to take responsibility for what he has deposited. Why many people fail? Many people fail for irresponsibility. They fail out of irresponsibility. Irresponsibility is a mother of failure because this is it. God knows what he has deposited in every man. And so, if he has deposited more and you are delivering less, you will fail. What is demanded and expected of me as a pastor of this church, you know what is my member of our church? I asked my wife that last year, did I sleep with you in the same room for up to seven nights? She said no. I thought I would, was it up to five nights in, in a whole year overnight? I don't think so. That we slept 
We went to bed together and woke up together in one year, up to five nights in three, five days. I don't think so. Because to whom much is given, much is expected. To whom much is given, much is expected. To whom much is given financially, much will be expected financially. To whom much is given revelationally, much will be expected manifestationally. To whom much is given in terms of access, more will be expected in loyalty. To whom much is given in position, much will be demanded in disposition. Are you getting what I'm saying? To whom much is given, much is expected. Why people fail in life is that God has made the deposits at the point at which the demand is placed in them. They never rise to it. The occasion of the demand and then they become failures in life. You will not fail. Let us now lay down how this works. I'm going somewhere with this. You know, your pastor, I'm a builder. I'm a spiritual architect. <laughs> I'm building. So let's, let's see how this works in scripture. The principle therefore is God is a God of order. What he demands is a function of what is deposited. And whenever we refuse to rise to what he demands of us, we will fail. Let's see faith. God demands faith of us? Yes. Does he demand faith of us? Yes. But before he demands faith of us, he first of all deposited faith in us. See Romans 12 verse 3. He said, for I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one. The measure, King James said, the measure of faith. So before God demands you to believe, there's a deposit of faith that he made in you. Then he now said in Hebrews 11 verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because he that comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Principle, listen to me. Because God has deposited the measure of faith in you when you came to Christ, he can never be pleased with you. When you refuse to deliver on that, are you getting what I'm saying? He's dealt to you. So without faith, it is now impossible to please him because the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So before God demands you to believe, he deposited a measure of faith in you. It is in you. The question is, will you rise if you have faith as a mustard seed? And the reality is everyone has that faith as a mustard seed because when you came to Christ, it took faith for you to be saved. And the deposit of faith that got you saved remains there. He will not demand of you to believe. If he didn't make the deposit first. And so in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 says, We are bound to thank God for you. Always for you, brethren. Paul was thanking God for the Thessalonian church. For as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you abounds towards one another. So you see here that he was, he was thanking God because they grew. They were growing in what was deposited in them. They were growing. One of my sons shared, he blessed me last year. He, I think the first year, I, I was privileged by the message of God to have paid his, his rent. Second year, I was privileged by God to have paid his rent. I think third year, maybe fourth year. So the fifth year, I asked him, I said, please, how much is the rent? Oh, no. He said, sir. Is taken care of. I said, well, the guy's growing. You see, before God demanded faith from us, he deposited faith in us. Let me, let me rush. 
What about love? I'm talking about a principle. Here's a principle. God will never demand from you what is not deposited in you. Why people fail because they never take responsibility to grow what was deposited in them. What about love? Does God demand love of us? Yes, yes, yes. But before he demanded love of us, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he said, now hope does not disappoint. Romans 5, 5. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So, you see, when the Holy Ghost came, there was a deposit of love in us. Based on that, in Ephesians 5, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice of God. You see again? Before God demands that we walk in love, he first of all, through his spirit, made a deposit on love. It's principle. God is not a taskmaster. He will not demand of you what is not deposited in you. And that's why my reaction to people is not equal. There's a place, there's a level you'll be and you say some wrong. You say, get out of here. I won't say that to everybody. There's a level in the church. That's why you, in church, you don't treat everybody equally. You treat them relative to your depositing them. The fact that you're a HOD, you're a minister, you're a designer, you talk to me anyhow. If you, if you react to people at a level that is not justified by the depth of investment, there will be a reaction against your authority. There are some ways in this church that only me can talk. Only me. There are some things that only me can confront. There are things that only me can say. There are some ways. And it's relative to your investment. That's why you invest before you demand. You invest before you demand. So you see about love, what are you seeing there? I can go on and on in scriptures there. The Holy Ghost shed the love, poured out his love in our hearts. Then he expects us, Ephesians 5, to, to walk in it. And in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, he was thanking God for them. Uh-uh. Because the love of every one of you also abounds. So again, the deposit has been made. They took responsibility for the deposit and they were growing in love. God is not a taskmaster. What about salvation? What about salvation? In Ephesians 2 5, he said, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Open bracket, by his grace, you have been saved. You saw that? You've been saved. In 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 13, I'm going somewhere, I'm not there yet. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth. So you see the deposit of salvation. But what does he expect in Philippians 2? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why is he asking you to walk out your salvation? Because he has walked it in. The order of God. He will never demand of you what is not deposited on you. In you. That's why giving is relative to what you have. The, the, God, the impression of God about your giving is relative to what you have been given. You remember the widow's white? The widow's might? You remember that? A woman gave two mites. That's why I don't consider size in giving. It's not the size 
of what you give that impresses God is the size of what you kept. What you kept, not just what you gave. A person, for instance, can give less numerically, but has given more proportionally. So the widow gave two mites, but Bible says she, out of her, her poverty, did cast in all her living. And the other ones out of their... Are you getting one? So you don't start saying that somebody who gives uh, 20 or 50 or 100 million is better than somebody who gave 2,000. 2, the person who gave 100 million may not be, God may not be as impressed as that person like somebody who gave 2,000. Because the person who gave 2,000 had 2,500. But the person who gave 100 million had 3 billion. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's relative. That's why God and God who knows everything. So you see, he asked them to work out that salvation because he had worked it in. He had deposited it by his grace. They were saved. So he demanded that they work it out. One man of God said recently, he said, your obedience, your education has been more than your obedience. That's why you're struggling. What about Grace. In Ephesians 2.5, even when we're dead, brethren, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. Right? Second Peter 3.18, it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. So you're seeing a principle here. <laughs> God is not a taskmaster. He will not demand of you what he has not done. It's a generic principle. Why do I give big? He's giving me big. So I give big. I give big. I can't give like, uh, you know, relative to what you've been given relative to the revelation you've been given to him that has more shall be given and don't, don't think that doesn't take responsibility for what they have even what they have will be taken somewhere i'm sharing something very powerful and i want you to extend it to every area of your life now we now come to righteousness romans 5 or 16 that if by one man's offense death reigned through one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life by Christ Jesus. So a, the righteousness was given to you as a deposit, the gift of righteousness. And I told you yesterday, it's the beginning of the story, not the end of it. The gift. Every believer has been given the gift of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin. To be made what? Sin for us. That we might be made as a gift. The righteousness of God. Now, it means therefore that there is an equity, a deposit, an investment of righteousness in every born again believer. You have it in you. It's a gift. So on the basis of that gift now, he now demands the second level that you grow in practical righteousness so that your authority will be something else. Look at how he says it. First John chapter 2 and verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So there is the deposit of righteousness, but there is the expectation of the practice of righteousness on the basis of the deposit of righteousness. 
Are you getting what I'm saying? There's an expectation. He expects you to practically be righteous because he's made the deposit in you. You are not made really by the deposit. You are made by the responsibility you take for the deposits. And that's why everybody may have been given the same level of faith. Everyone may have been given the same level of word. The same word that was preached to us was preached to them. But the word that was preached to them did not profit them because they didn't take responsibility to mix that word with faith. So what makes a man is not necessarily what he's been given. Here I quote my spiritual father, the Reverend William Brother. He said, whatever you inherit that you do not merit, you will eventually forfeit. You're not made now by what you're given. You're made by the responsibility that you take for what you're given. So now he's depositing in you the equity of righteousness. He expects of you to work out, hallelujah, your practical righteousness with fear and fear. He expects you to work it out. And it says here that if you know that he's righteous, you know therefore that everyone who practices righteousness is, is born of him. So, it, so that's why I said the gift of righteousness is the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the story. And that's why there are people, we are equally righteous, but not, we're not equally working it out. We're not taking responsibility for, at the same level. And that's why our results are not on the same level. When you want to find out the differential and results, it will be a function of the responsibility that everybody takes for what they've been given. I used to have somebody here, uh, with us, a, a young woman who works with us. And she worked with us for one year. And in the one year that she worked with us, she had gotten her land. At the end of the one year, she had gotten her land. And people who were earning equal or more had done nothing. Responsibility is what makes the difference. Single woman had gotten her land. My respect for her increased. She just came and brought the proof to me. Land is land. She took responsibility for it. My wife, let me share this. My wife, fantastic. One year service, when they were paying, I don't know, 15,000 or 10,000 per service, my wife came from, from her service in Isa Lambano, Imo State, and she came back from that service with, I think, 150,000 naira saved or more. Saved when she was coming back. And when she got back, right? She, when she got back, it was the money she had saved in her, in her account. That was the first deposit made when I was about to get married to her. We had to liquidate the money she had saved for the first deposit. When they said, bring the money, it was her money we first deposit, deposited. See, if you are responsible, you are responsible. You are foolish, you are foolish. It's the responsibility that people take. It's not what you give them. There are people who are giving more who do less. And there are people who, who are giving less who do more. At the end of this year, God is going to ask, what have you gained by trading what I gave to you? In 1 John chapter 2, 3, verse 2, two to us, I'm saying a lot of things. He said, beloved, now we are children. Now, the same woman got a land and there are others who were getting more than her who, who are indebted. <laughs> 
In First John 3 verse 2 to verse 12, Beloved, we are now, now are we the children of God. And it does not yet appear, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. When he is revealed, he said, for we shall, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope of seeing him as he is, purifies himself. He, he purifies. See, nobody God will purify you. You, you will purify yourself. You, will, you are not the one that will, it's not God that will stop phone sex. It is you. You that will stop adultery. It is you that will stop fornication. It is you. If any man purges himself of this, he shall be a vessel of It is you. It's not God that will make me pure. It is me. I will take responsibility for my purity, for my righteousness, on the basis of the deposit of the gift that he has given to me. Or else he considers me as irresponsible. He, he that has his hope purifies himself just as he is pure. So the deposit was made there he is pure, potentially, but he takes responsibility for the deposit of righteousness in him so that he can now be pure practically. And you get what I'm saying? It is you. Recently, one of my daughters called me to share a few things. So I, I stepped out of my house, you know, because it was a very private call and I, I like dealing with people very private. So I stepped out of my house. As I stepped out of my house, it dawned on me that in almost two years, it was the first time I was stepping out to take a private call from a woman. It's not God that will do it. It is you. You will do it. You will do it. You will do it. It just felt strange. And I'll go back and I said, honey, I felt so strange taking a secret call from a woman. Not a bad call. I mean, it was pastoral duties, but it was very strange. It looked very strange. He that has the hope of seeing him as he is. If you want to see Jesus as he is, he purifies himself even as he's pure. Second Timothy says, if any man purges himself, he shall be. So your state of being is your state of purging. He shall be a vessel unto honor. Meet for the master's use. He now says that whoever commits sin commits lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him, there is no sin. Whoever therefore abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Here he's saying, to, to, to overcome sin, you will need to abide in him. He's not saying you cannot sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying it takes abiding in God to overcome sin. And he's saying whoever, the word there actually is to continue in the practice of sin in spite of the deposits of righteousness. It's one thing to, you, you made a sleep. It's another thing to, you're a believer. Is that his zone? Little children, let no one deceive you. He now says, He who practices righteousness is righteous. So you see, he's coming to the second level. Here he's not talking about the gift of righteousness, he's talking about the equity of righteousness, the practice of righteousness. Let nobody deceive you. He who practices righteousness. Is righteous. So the same way you practice sin, you have to learn to practice righteousness. 
He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. You see, he's saying two things here. He who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. The first pure was a deposit. The second pure is the responsibility. The first righteous was the deposit. Give to right. The second righteous is a responsibility that somebody takes. Is a responsibility. It's not anything. Oh, may God get you there. You see, whenever you get to that level of absolute obedience, your faith begins to fly. Having in all readiness to avenge all disobedience when your own obedience is complete. I mean, where I am now, I can't afford rubbish. You know what? Because I, we are now at that phase where God must be answering per second. It's not that per hour. It's per second. You need 10 million years. You per second. Even as he's righteous, he now says, he who sins, here he's talking about the practice of sin, is of the devil. And the devil has sinned from the beginning. And he said, for the purpose of the Son of God, for this was the Son of God, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever therefore has been born of God does not sin or does not make a practice of sin, for his seed remains in him. Hey! He cannot sin because he has been born of God. So there was a seed of righteousness deposited in you that you are supposed to develop and grow so that you can now begin to grow in the practical righteousness. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Not as Cain, who was wicked, but mother's brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let me tell you, whenever you begin to do right, begin to be careful about those who are doing things wrong. Begin to give them some space. They will kill you. Because whenever you are doing things right, I've told you about Abel. Abel, Mumu, Abel, Mumu. You saw that the countenance of your brother was falling because of what he didn't do right. You know, I followed him. Killed. I mean, I'm not about to be killed for anybody. Once I see you are not on the frequency, I allow you, may you do your level. All of this was expansiated. In Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound? He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as have been baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we all should walk in the newness of life. Hallelujah. We all should walk in the newness of life. And I think my time is up. I can't finish this thing. I'll just stop there. Back to where I started. The order of God. He makes the deposit before he made the demand. So God made a deposit of the gift of righteousness in you so that you will take responsibility for the development of that deposit so that you can come to a place of practical righteousness. And this, ladies and gentlemen, this gift of righteousness, this gift of righteousness 
common. The practice of righteousness is where there is relativity. The gift is for everybody, but the practice is selective. The gift is generic, but the practice is selective. And I said, if any man purges himself of this, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Made it imperfect for the master's use. And this, late, and I'll get there maybe some other day in the year, sometime later in the year. This is what makes Satan bow. He said, for the princes of this world come to me, and he found nothing. May this be the year where somebody understand my voice will take full responsibility for the equity and deposit of righteousness in them for them to begin to rise. It makes you totally irresistible in the realm of the spirit. Irresistible. You say, hey, Satan, evil bows before good. So do the wicked at the gate of the practically righteous, not just the gift. Hunger for the gift. I'm saying here, because he's given us the gift, he has an expectation. You and I will begin to grow in righteousness. And as we grow in righteousness, remember it is the scepter of the kingdom. We begin to grow in authority. Then he begins to say, You love righteousness, you hate wickedness. Therefore, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Receive grace to do your part. Receive grace to take responsibility to move from just the mere gift of righteousness to the practice of righteousness. And I like the word practice. You know, practice makes perfect. Practice does not suggest you're perfect, but you're practicing it. You're practicing it. You're, you're, you're practicing it. You're practicing it. And what's the beauty of practice? The, better, the more you practice something, you get better at it. You get better at it. And you go to a point where God begins to say, Oh, I found one of them here. Who loves righteousness more than he hates wickedness? I will now anoint him with the oil of gladness. And it is this thing, this thing, that makes people leave their mates behind. May you leave your mates behind in righteousness. In Jesus' name. Whatever you've done wrong is forgiven. Close that chapter. We wipe it out under the blood. Take responsibility for more righteousness. More righteousness. And as you do that, you will see God move in your space. Bless you. Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast with Reverend Deji Olabode. We believe you've been blessed by this message. Be a blessing to others by sharing it with someone. Worship with us at the Enthronement Assembly Headquarters, live at the Scepter Convention Center, Plot 2, Latif Jakonde, Agadigi, Kedja, Lagos. The Excellence in Life Sunday service starts at 7.30 a.m. And the celebration service commences 9.30 a.m. You can also join us for the midweek service at 5 p.m. on Thursdays at the same venue. For more inquiries, please visit dgolabode.com or call plus 234-906-153-5283. Thank you for listening.